We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. I'm Alex Hurst and this is the podcast that we tried to put out yesterday, Sunday morning, me and Norman Jury's in in Birmingham. Uh, thought we were getting ahead of ourselves for the weekend by putting out the podcast before we left Birmingham after staying over night for Wolves away. Uh, I've had lots of messages from people who say it hasn't been working for them. For some reason, it only seems to have worked on Spotify consistently. That's mental. I don't know why that is. And what I've done every time I record a podcast on the professional-ish equipment that we use, uh, I record on my phone as well, just in case something goes wrong. Um, so what I've done is had to admit defeat on fixing the podcast um, myself. I think I've spent more time trying to fix this podcast than the manager spends training the team in a week. And instead, what I've done is released this backup audio version that I've got for those of you who haven't been able to hear it. Obviously, the audio, well, it isn't very good. It's like the True Faith podcast used to be back in the day before we started Patreon, used the money and bought some professional equipment. Um, so thanks very much for listening if you've already listened to this podcast, obviously don't listen again. Um, I hope it's okay. We'll be back to normal next week. Promise. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. It's Wolverhampton Wanderers 2, Newcastle United. What do you got? Myself, Alex Hurst, Norman Riley from our hotel in Birmingham, where we stayed overnight. Another fantastic weekend of Birmingham, apart from the football, <laughs> but more, more of that later. Uh, Norman Newcastle have been beaten against Steve. Bruce says there are positives already. Difficult to take positives from another defeat. Seven Premier League games without a win now. Um, seven Premier League games without a clean sheet, I believe, as well. Yes, we played Burnley in the League Cup, another Premier League team who we feel to beat. Kept a clean sheet against them, though, so, you know, positives there, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, no, I mean, the game, we equalised, you think, well, actually, we've equalised the way. We had a good chance with Maximine to, to take a 2-1 lead. But the game, as a whole... We created very little, and, and you could argue that Wolves created very little as well, but ultimately it's almost like they didn't have to. They kind of just stepped up again when they needed to. Um, and for Bruce to say there's positives coming out of that, what what are they? Like, I'd like to know what what those specific positives are, and are those positives enough to carry us into the next game against Spurs, and enough to kind of give us the impetus to win? I, I don't think so, mate. To me, it looks, like, it looks like a bit of a sinking ship, and I don't think Bruce is the man to... To kind of bail the water out, we are sinking fast as far as I can see. Um, so not nah, positives, nah, no, I'm yet. Sorry, really, to really th- try and yeah, to, to think of them. I've been trying all month to think of them, 
Um, and I can't even individual performances. Maximine perhaps, again, was excellent. You know, he had to deal with three or four Wolves players marking him, and he still shone. But that would be as far as it could. It could I can stretch, I'm afraid. The issue for me with, with Bruce's positives, and listen, he uses different words each week. Sometimes he says positives, like yesterday he says, I can't keep standing here every week saying the same thing when we haven't won. And then he immediately goes on to say the same thing, which is... They didn't have many chances. We didn't take our chances. And we were at the game, and I appreciate not everyone listening to this will have been at the game or watched the game. That's why we'll come and do these things. That's why we'll come and watch this team in the flesh um, and ruin, <laughs> ruin an otherwise excellent weekend. <laughs> because Newcastle were dreadful. Newcastle were dreadful yesterday. They were dreadful against West Ham. They were dreadful against Aston Villa. They were better against... Leeds and Watford, but albeit two very poor teams that they played. They were very poor for parts against Manchester United. Like you say, there is nothing from this team whatsoever that suggests that they are progressing as a football team, that they're getting better each week. That performance, mate, was almost identical to Aston Villa away. Mm -hmm. It was the same performance. It was the same lack of creativity. It was the same easy goals for the opposition. It was, this is the point... The Wolves' as fans yesterday were on their team's back because they weren't happy with what they saw. You know, Wolves were wasteful in possession. They were negative. They passed the ball backwards when they had players in space forwards. And once again, Newcastle have been beaten by a team who didn't have to play well to beat us. And this is the concerning thing, mate. When Bruce talks about positives, when Danny Murphy goes on national television last night, I mean, you watched it, so why don't you talk me through it and... Tell me why you think we're hearing what we're hearing. So Murphy, at the end of the Newcastle highlights, said that, well, Newcastle, you know, they are playing more front-foot football now. This, this magical word, front-foot, you know, it's front-foot. It was never even a phrase that I didn't make mine two years ago. Front-foot football, I think they used to call it attacking football back in the day, yeah. but, um, or just trying to score. Yeah. Um, so he said that because of this supposed front-foot football we're playing, and the stats came up, you know... Um, 10th, 10th best in the league for expected goals. 10th best for expected goals, by the way. Wow. Um, and 8th most shots at goal. Um, but that's come, according to Danny, it's meant that we've sacrificed our defensive solidity because obviously the last two seasons defensively we've been incredible, of course. If you look at the goals we've conceded. Um, we, I mean, we haven't. Um, and you're thinking, why are you saying this, Danny? And Ian Wright is sat there shaking his head. And Wright's basically saying, well, no, I <laughs> think this is, this is a terrible, terrible team. And it's down to the manager to get the balance right. If they're all playing more attacking football, then they still need to to get that balance. You can't sacrifice one for the other, even if that's the case, which we know we know that it isn't, right? I mean, these games, the same games last season, if you take Watford out of it, we scored more goals last season and we conceded less. So what does it matter if we've got more, we're having more shots at goal? What does it actually matter when the results are worse, we're scoring less goals and we're conceding more? Um, you know, Bruce always says it's about the accumulation of points, right? Well, we're not accumulating very many at the moment, despite the fact that we've... Had loads and loads of shots, apparently. Um, and, and why Murphy's saying it, I, I genuinely don't know. It's, it's every season under Bruce, or every sort of, like, let's say, crisis point, of which there'd be many, there always seems to be a narrative constructed immediately. There's a, there's a narrative in, you know, it, whether it's injuries, um, which it was for basically two seasons. Um, well, if Callum Wilson wasn't the team, they'd be winning a lot more games. If Maxime was fit, they'd be winning a lot more games. Um, or, you know, other players are programmed by Rafa. The, you know, Bruce is trying to get them to change from... The, the brainwashing they've had by the previous manager. 
And now it's um, now it's well. Steve's trying to get them to play better football, and they're playing better football. But that's sacrificing their defensive solidity. It's just it's just one excuse after another. Why is Danny Murphy saying this? I generally don't know. I can only assume it's down to the fact that Bruce, as we've said on numerous occasions, seems to be very well liked among the, the sort of British footballing fraternity. Um, and a fair play to him, right? As I say, he said that. Well, that's just not not the case at all. Um, it 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 ties into the, the bigger picture, which is the which is the questions that journalists. Suppose that you know journalist air quotes put the Steve Bruce post match. Nobody asks Steve Bruce at the end of the game, right? This is what they do. Rather than saying, "Okay, Steve, so you had you start with four at the back and then you switch to five. Why? What was the logic behind that when you went to goal down? Um, you start with four at the back and you had a left winger slash midfielder left back when you had a left back on the bench that you paid twelve and a half million for, and you played a left winger as a centre forward when you had a centre forward on the bench. We gave a contract last season. What is the rationale? They give us. They, can you can you give us insight into why you were making these decisions? None of that. It's so, Steve. You're in a tricky situation, but you've had 900 games. You'll have to use all your experience to get out of this, won't you? Yes, I've had 900 games. I have to use all my experience to get out of this. It's really tough. It, it's they're, they're, they're giving him questions with the answers inside of the question for him to then just parrot it back, and it it, it kind of makes a mockery of, of the whole concept of football journalism, right? There's not there's just nothing there. Um, so rather than insightful, probing questions, he just gets. Like, hi, Steve, good to see you. Well, that was bad today, but you've got 900 games in your belt, so you'll be all right, won't you? Yes, I'll be all right. That That's it. This thing about the eighth most shots on goal or whatever is heavily skewed by the Watford and Leeds games. If you look at Newcastle's performances against West Ham, against Aston Villa, against Man United, even against Southampton, I mean, we had a few more shots against Southampton, we hardly, we hardly created anything at all. And this isn't like one or two games, this is half of the season. You look at the... There's two crucial things that I would counter to anyone who says, oh, well, Newcastle have had the eighth most shots in the league. Okay, well, we've conceded more goals than any other team, mm-hmm. level with Norwich. P- people are pretty much accepting that Norwich are going to be relegated. That's almost like an accepted conversation now. It's kind of not up for debate. Um, we have two more points than Norwich and have conceded the same number of goals. So what? how, how Danny Murphy can... Here, here are the stats, Danny. Newcastle have the worst defensive record in the league. Norwich, by the way, have played like Everton away, Liverpool away, Liverpool at home, Man City away. All right. Um, Newcastle, of all their fixtures so far, the only hard game could be described as Manchester United. Mm-hmm. Away, which, by the way, since Manchester United played Newcastle, is looking less like the horror fixture than it was when we went into that fixture, which is pretty um, typical, I'd say, for, for Bruce's Newcastle. We conceded the most goals. We looked defensively shaky. So how Murphy could then say we've sacrificed... Something that didn't exist. Newcastle last season conceded more goals at St James's Park than any other season in the Premier League under Bruce. Mm-hmm. It's almost like there's no there's no dignity in this anymore. And I see a lot of stuff on social media wondering if Bruce will walk away. The the man has absolutely no no class and you know, some people say, Well that doesn't matter, he just needs to win football matches. I go back to Rude Hollett. And you could argue Jack Hart, Charlton, but Root Hullet as well. Looked at the situation, saw, I can't do this, and walked away without a payoff. Steve Bruce is here until he gets a payoff. He stands there week after week, lying to himself, lying to the media, lying to the fan base, lying to the wider football world about something that is just not true. It is just not true that Ethne Castle took their chances. There would be a good team and there would be further up the league. It's simply not true. If Southampton had taken their chances, they would have won the game over Newcastle taking their chances. 
um, if who else have we if, got? If, I mean, if Wolves had taken their chances yesterday, they would have been two up before we, we scored. Yeah. In a 2 0 is game over, right? Because we know from experience that under Steve Bruce, Newcastle United, coming back from two goals down is a, a virtual impossibility. I think um, Everton perhaps away is the only time that's happened. And that was a complete anomaly by throwing up Florian Jean up front and just hoping for the best. Um, I think I'll, you, you mentioned lying there, and I think that kind of ties into the the conversations that go on on the sidelines. I'm not I'm not saying I'm not saying these are lies, but it's I suppose it's the responsibility. So who's taking responsibility for these decisions? So let's say for example yesterday, right? We go goal down, and then he switches from four at the back, four at the back. Those games against Watford and Leeds where we've supposedly been, you know, creating tons of chances, um, they were four at the back, right? You know, the, the kind of slapdash chaos football that we play comes when we've got four at the back. So then we go go down and he switches to five at the back. What are the conversations on the sidelines that are happening? Yeah, like this, this is what I think was the coaches, Agnew Clemens and Graham Jones, high, very highly rated Graham Jones, by the way. It, is, it, is it those coaches who are saying to him, we need to switch this to five at the back? Like during the game? Or is it him saying, let's switch the five at the back and then nobody challenging him on it? What, I, I really can't grasp what is what, what the communication is between these four people who are running running the team. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on that, mate. I'd be really interested to know. Well, it's, it, it, I think it ties into the point I was making, so I'm pleased you brought it up, about the lack of decency and the lack of honesty here. Newcastle have been booed off in every single fixture they've played this season. They were booed off against West Ham. They were booed off against, against Aston Villa by the way end. They were booed off against Burnley after losing the penalty shootout. They were booed off against Southampton. They were booed off against Manchester United by the, uh, the way end. They were booed off against Leeds, I think mm-hmm. was the next game. They were booed off at Watford. They were booed off yesterday by the way end. And then you've got a bloke who comes out after each game and talks about progress, playing well, unlucky, we're nearly there. And it's like the two things can't be true. You can't have a fan base in open revolt. We'll talk about the away end just a little bit later. And and what he is saying, it's just not honest. It it's Steve McLaren esque vibes where McLaren, towards the end of his reign, is getting pumped five one at Chelsea and stood there grinning, saying it'll come. I've got faith it'll come. They're just words now. Mm-hmm. They're just words. And, and like I agree with you that the 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 people who get paid to talk about this shit, the people that get paid to ask the man, they are asking Steve Bruce questions about what has happened to try and provide an explanation about why what happened happened. Saying that you've been a manager for 999 games, that's not an explanation. Right, you got beat, but you've been a manager a long time. So what? It's like, it would be like, it would be like speaking to a motorist, the motor, right, you, um, you caused a pilot and a crash, but fucking hell, you've been driving 20 mm-hmm. years. Like, the, the two things are irrelevant. And to come back to your point about what's happened on the sidelines, this is the main concern. If there is no honesty there, if there is no, like, right, me and you as fans and people listen to this, if there is no acceptance that what we listen, what we hear Steve Bruce say, I am not confident that is actually what he thinks. Mm-hmm. So if there's no honesty between Bruce and the press and Bruce and the fans, is there honesty between Bruce and the players? Is there honesty between Bruce and the coaching staff? Did none of the coaching staff say to Steve, Steve, our best player, Alain Saint-Maximin, um, he, he creates a lot of chances. Um, teams can't really handle him, particularly on the left-hand side. Um, we're playing without a striker. Do you think we should do this? Is there, is there no conversation week after week from any of the coaching staff to the manager to say, listen, Steve, we might have got this one wrong. We haven't won any of our previous seven fixes mm-hmm. this season. We'll keep conceding lots of goals. Uh, when we're near the bottom of the league, should should we try something different? And like you correctly say, rather than thinking right, we're well, one 0 down. Uh, I'm going to bring Dwight Gale on. He goes. Uh, I'll bring Javier Manquillo off, who's been one of our better players. Um, and I'll bring Jacob Murphy on, but I don't think Jacob Murphy's defensively solid enough to play traditional right back. 
even though Wolves, like a lot of teams, mate, and I, I might talk about this, I'll talk, actually I will talk about this later, um, he brings on Jacob Murphy, and it's like, well, I have to play five at the back, so I'm going to play Isaac Hayden, who's been playing centre midfield, as a centre-back. And to us as fans, you're like, as you just said, how has this happened? Why are we in the away end? Why have we travelled down this weekend? Why are millions of people watching around the world consuming the Premier League? Why are tens or hundreds of thousands of Newcastle fans that are following and watching this game to see decisions made that there simply is no justification for? And then at the end of the game, the manager to come out and say, we just needed to take what chances. What chances? He says chances, plural. I, I can count chance. Chance. Alison Maximin, six-yard box. And I think I said this on our match day podcast for patrons. Um, you can bemoan Steve all you like. Alison Maximin... Uh, missing in the six yard box, play a striker if you want. If you want there to be a higher probability of your chances being converted, play a striker. Also, mate, the switches, bringing on a right winger to play a right wing back when you've got a right wing back already in the pitch and have your man Kilo. We know we know have your man Kilo play right back or right wing back. Putting Isaac Hayden from midfield, by the way, where Joao Moutinho and Neves were literally given like the most of the park, right. So that to then move, you're, you're probably your best defensive midfielder in, in a centre-half position. Oh, there's already clear, clear space there. And then you're, you're moving Isaac Hayden, so you just create more space. You're giving them even more space. I mean, giving, giving Joao Moutinho that amount of space is, is ridiculous. Because um, he just won the game, which he did, right? Um, but then you've got Fabian Scher on the bench. So rather than say, actually, I'm going to leave Isaac Hayden in midfield, his position. I'm going to bring off, um, I'm going to bring another centre-half on. So I'll bring off, maybe I'll bring off Sean Longstaff, right? I'll put, I'll put Fabian Scher in his proper position. I'm gonna put. I'm gonna leave Javier Manquillo uh, right, uh, right wing back. I'm gonna sacrifice Matt Ritchie. I'm gonna put on Jamal Lewis who can play either left wing back or left back. A player who's got pace and that stage of the game who may have actually impacted on it. Let's say in the second half. I've also got Ryan Frears on the bench. Why is Ryan Frears not getting on? This is a kid who created. He's, he's created. He's um. He's really sort of creating chances. At Bournemouth was phenomenal. He's never been given an extended run the Newcastle team. Bring on Dwight Gill with 15 minutes to go. 12. 12. Oh, sorry, 12. 12 yeah. minutes to go. 12 minutes to go. So. The, the, as I say, the, the decision-making process, when you've got Shea on the bench, Frears on the bench, Lewis on the bench, you're putting players in, in the team who are in, in positions that they're, they're doing playing. Isaac Hayden himself said, apparently, a few weeks ago, didn't he? I'm not a centre-half, when he was blamed, I believe, for a, for a goal that we conceded. Yeah. Um, wh- wh- where's the communication? Who's saying to him? Like, Steve, are you sure about this, mate? Like, you know, on the sideline. Like, Steve, do you think this is the best, the wisest decision? Or is it them on the sideline saying to him, this is what we should do, Steve. We should put Isaac Hayden at centre-half. Put Jacob Murphy on at right wing back. Take off an actual right wing, uh, right wing back, and we should just keep putting um, square pegs in, in, in round goals. It's it's it's, it's baffling, and, and it's not even brought up on match day. Ian Wright, I think, was as I say again. Ian Wright said, and, and credit to him, he is questioning it because he obviously I imagine he has conversations with Alan Shearer in private, right? And he said, "You're playing Maximino front. He should be on the left. That's where he does most of his damage. It's it's that simple, right? It's that simple. Um, and it this isn't something that's going to change me. This is basically." This is like three years now, three years of us of us coming on podcast and saying, why is he doing this? Yeah. And that's the thing, to finish off part one, um, I, I, I was going to say that, and I've said this before, Bruce doesn't know his best team, clearly. He doesn't know his best formation. Alleg- doesn't know what positions players are yeah. Allegedly, he, th- he, thinks it's, he thinks this is going well. He thinks performances haven't merited points. When in when in actual fact you've basically got two versions of Bruce when Newcastle lose, have you conceded three or more against a um, poor side? Bad. If it's if you lose by the odd one or two goals, okay, you never know. Could have gone a different way, and ultimately we are going to have to accept we that that this man is a chancer. He will say anything he possibly can that believes he will stay in the job. 
to be able to be paid off. The, like, I don't, I cannot stand there in the away end yesterday watching that shambles of a performance. And it is a shambles. And knowing we knew, I think Chris from True Faith put a message in the, the group said, this will be what Bruce says post-game. It was like literally word for word. Yeah. It's like, again, people listening probably play this themselves with their mates or text their mates. Like, here's Bruce's post-match conference, mm. like 20 minutes before it drops. And you can just predict what he's going to say. And for Bruce to be stood there saying, our goalkeeper hasn't really had to make a save. It's like, Steve, you've been in the game for five or six decades consecutively. That's not how football works. You stood there at Aston Villa and said the same thing. Aston Villa fans said, was it you that said it on the train, possibly? Um, that basically they knew that as soon as they scored, the game was over. That's right. And the team, like, the fans know it. The management know it. I mean, Newcastle scored a fluke goal, which we'll come on to later. Um, like... Everyone else in football, this is me concern, everyone else in football knows what's going on. Wolves were dreadful yesterday. And that's not just me every week saying, oh, Leeds were dreadful, Watford were dreadful, Wolves were dreadful. None of these teams are going to finish in the top 10. They are all poor sides. Wolves fans yesterday, like I said earlier, were on their team's back all game. But what I think Wolves' manager realised is, if we just sit fairly deep here, and we stay compact, there is no way Newcastle can break us down. No way. It was a freak. The goal was a freak. There's no way they can break us down. And it worked. And it's the same with Villa. It was like Villa just thought, we'll score because these lads can't defend. We'll score and we'll win. And in the second half, it got it got to the stage, mate, where obviously you want the team to score. And obviously you've, we've travelled all the way down here. But fucking hell, you're just like, we, we, just, like, we don't deserve a point from this football game. We just don't deserve it. How long can we go? We didn't deserve a point from fucking Southampton. You could argue we didn't deserve a point against Leeds. Yes, it was better when he changed formation. Leeds should have been three or four nil up at half time. They should have had a penalty. Like we I don't I can't sit here lying to myself or stand there in the wind lying to myself that we're watching anything other than an absolute shambles from what is supposed to be elite sport and outfit. What we're gonna do, mate, in part two is uh, analyze the game a little bit more uh, right after this message. So now in part two of the show, I'd like to talk about the game, what happened, why it happened, how it happened. Um, let's kick off, mate, with the two Wolves goals. A mm-hmm. lot of criticism levelled at Carl Darlow on social media, people in the away end yesterday. The Matchday podcast, which we record during the game, which we kind of talk about the game afterwards, but then kind of film the or record the authentic crowd noise. Um you hear me on the recording saying, keep us, keep us, keep us come out for the first goal. Darlow doesn't come for the ball. Then when he, it, it is apparent that the lad has got through to the six-yard box almost, he comes out and the player slides the ball past him. Second goal, uh, he stays on his line. So it looks like he's maybe thought from the first one, well, I shouldn't have come out. And both, I, th- I don't think anyone can argue they're both good finishes. Mm-hmm. But they both look like soft goals. And I think we can see a lot of goals that you don't quite often see at this level. What was your take on both goals, mate? I think it would be harsh to solely blame Darlow. You're right, he could have done better. But ultimately, we know what kind of goalkeeper Darlow is. He can make great saves, but he really comes off his line. I don't think his command of the 18-yard box is necessarily what, what it ought to be for a keeper in, a, in the Premier League. Um, so I, I would hesitate to say that, you know, if Darlow had done better, then we would have, you know, we would have won the game. If we'd only taken my chances and we'd only took Carl Darlow and made saves, we would have won the game. Um, I think the fact is that those both those goals were down to the fact that the amount of space Wolves got in the centre of the park was ridiculous. Um, 
I've already alluded to Moutinho and Neves having more or less sort of 50 yards to just ping passes round in. Raul Jimenez, mate, um, and I think both... Did the first goal come from a Kieran Clark mistime tackle and the second one from a long staff one, perhaps? They just couldn't... They, they basically couldn't get close to Raul Jimenez. There was no pressing. He was, he was, he, what he did was very skillful, very good, but at the same time, he got, he got given far too much time and, and, and that, that's where the goals came from. It was the fact that we most of the game didn't press. We didn't, we didn't press him at the back. So, for example, you had Joe Linton, who never really closes down. Uh, and when he does it, kind of half, it's half-hearted. Um, they then allowed to kind of bring the ball out. As I say, Moutinho Neves, loads of space. Jimenez is allowed to drop deep. Nobody, nobody tracks him. He's allowed to drop deep. He's allowed to carry the ball. And he's allowed to slide it through to Hechan. Nobody's tracking Hechan. So the goal come from the fact that we literally struggle to mark players. We don't press. And we just give teams the, the freedom to, to pretty much do what they like. So, yeah, the William Darlow would be, would be harsh. Remember, mate, if we talk about chances, though, <laughs> exactly. um, it's like, literally, Steve, we're going to have to win every single game, 3-2 up or 3. Because, and I meant to say this earlier, you, you've articulated this well in the past, it's literally like, to Steve Bruce Post game, it's like, we're, we have to take all our chances, mm-hmm. they need to miss all theirs. Mm-hmm. And then we'll win. That's how it works with Steve Bruce. Well, if we talk about chances, like I said, well, if fucking Southampton took their chances, it'd have been 5-0 up. It's James's Park, do you know what I mean? It's, like, forgetting, it's forgetting, isn't it? It's forgetting that there's another team playing. Yeah. Like, you know, you'd say, well, every single manager in the league, Daniel Falker could say, well, if we'd taken our chances, you know, the two that they created per game, and the other team didn't take theirs, then we'll win. So that's yeah. it, that we've, that we've worked it out. If the other team doesn't create chances, and we take ours, then we'll win. I mean, it's it's absolutely ridiculous, mate. I think, I, I think Darlow is poor for both goals, but poorer than Darlow in terms of why they scored um, is that... That the lad who scored for for Wolves is basically on the edge of Newcastle's six yard mm-hmm. area under no no real pressure at all, um, and and if you look at where the goals come from, they come from nothing. It's not like you know this is a well worked move. It's not like yes, it's a good pass and a good finishing ball. But both times it's like Newcastle conceived the ball very very quickly in midfield. Five seconds later they've scored. It's like the goal of Aston Villa, mate. Throw in. No pressure on the throw-in, no pressure on the cross, no pressure on Danny Ings, and all of a sudden Steve Bruce has stood there at full time and said, oh, what a, you know, brilliant goal, there's not a lot you can do. When there's four or five individual things you can do to stop these goals from happening, we are a defensive shambles. There's nothing to work out yet. The, the, the opposition, when they play against us, has nothing to work out, other than put three players on Sam Maximin. That is literally yeah. all other teams have to do, because it's not even like Wolves this week would have had to have, like done specific training sessions to counter what Newcastle offer, right? Basically, Laga could have just said to his players, all right, what we're going to do is this week, threes are going to mark Sam Maximin, and the rest of you are going to get loads of space, so just do what you do in the training ground, basically. Joao, Joao, Ruben, you know, you, you lads want to pass a ball around, you're going to be allowed to do it, so well, something will something will give eventually, and that, that's, that's what happened. Wolves, Wolves had, not, there was nothing to unlock, there was nothing to work out, it was just vast amount of space, little pressure, and it was very easy for them, even though they played poorly, even though there was only one goal deficit, it was still very easy for Wolves to win that yeah, game. Very, very easy. Newcastle have two shots basically in the game. Uh, the second was this Maximin six yard shot, which their goalkeeper makes himself big, good save. You'd expect, you, you would argue, and Bruce clearly thinks that he should score that. You know, Bruce mentioned that in his post match game. And I, I don't think it happens in other clubs where, like, where a team or a player misses one chance in a game, one, and the manager stood there at full time saying, well, if we're taking that chance. I mean, I would put it to you, Norman, that if we'd taken that chance, Wolves would just score again mm-hmm. because it was so easy for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce again ignores that fact. <laughs> Jeff Hendrick got booed on <laughs> to the pitch. Willock went down, classic Bruce here in Newcastle. Willock went down twice and had to have treatment. Didn't go off 
and then went down a third time and went off. And it's like, so he, he has essentially been playing on injured because he clearly couldn't run. Why was on the pitch? He brought on Henrik, which was an unpopular choice. The substitution was booed. I don't think it was the player who was booed. I think it was the substitution that mm. was booed. And, and let's face it, Hendrik scored a nice goal, but was terrible all game, much like the rest of his teammates. The goal came from some good work from Sir Maximin. A nice little through ball, probably over hit. Joe Linton goes through on the keeper, and then Wolves catastrophically give the ball away twice in one of the worst goals I've ever seen defensively. Good finish by Hendrik. He's hit it back across the keeper. Um, my first thoughts when we conceded, mate, was how the fuck has this happened? We do, we do not deserve this. What were you thinking? Well, we equalised. Absolutely. It came, from, it came from nothing, right? I mean, so it, it's interesting, Bruce, as if only would take my chances. As you say, there was one chance. It was a match match chance. This, this particular goal wasn't necessarily a chance. Okay, yes, Joe Linton got into a good position and, and Maxime may have overhit the ball, but it wasn't necessarily what you call a clear-cut chance in Hendrick's goal. It was, I mean, indicative of his Newcastle career, right? Three really good goals and nothing much else. Yeah. Um, that, that's kind of what he's done. Um, and even when we equalised, again, the celebrations, it wasn't the kind of last days of Rome scenes that we're used to in away ends, right? It was like people just going, yeah, get in, jumping up and doing, and then that was it. It just, it wasn't like it, it instigated a, a kind of wave of support, like a load of singing, like, oh, hey, you know, we're back, but this is it now. It was like, I was scored, we've celebrated, then, then crack on, like it just moved on. And, and obviously we saw what happened, right? Wolves, after we missed our one chance, um, went, and, went and got the winner, I think. It's interesting the Henrik substitution. Think, thinking back now, you remind me, man. Had we switched the five at the back no, by the time Henrik came on? We didn't switch the five at the back until we're two one down. Right, right. Okay. Um, so uh, really, he, he drops. He, he goes to five at the back, drops Hayden in, and leaves Henrik and Longstaff in the centre midfield. And you're thinking like, now I'm thinking to myself, well, he should have just pulled one of the centre midfielders and brought Fabian Chia and left to Hayden in midfield. I've already, I've already yeah. said it. And then that you could argue maybe, maybe that second goal they wouldn't have had that amount of space because Hayden would have been in there filling the hole, but. You know, if it's put in, maybe he's there. But uh, the goal itself, as you say, great finish, but ultimately not a goal that made me think we're going to get some, we're going to get some it, here. It's a goal that basically the Wolves keeper pretended to be injured. Yeah. If he didn't pretend to be injured, we wouldn't have scored yeah. it. And you could, you could, if you listen to this, thinking, oh, you're hypercritical, you're never happy. It's like, well, the rest of the game bears out that we're incapable of creating anything. Like you correctly said, Alison Maximine, not like Watford, not like Leeds, where he had a couple of players against him had five players around yeah. him at times because Wolves, quite rightly, as it turned out, just thought, just take the ball off this kid. Not, nothing will happen. Don't worry about overlapping runs. Don't worry about space for other players. Don't worry about it. No one will run in the box if he's outside the box. There, were, there, was, there was a point yesterday uh, where I laughed, I laughed out loud. Uh, St Maximine got a long ball down the flank, picked the ball up, turned, played the ball back to Isaac Hayden in the midfield, who played it back to St Maximine, Got his head up and there was one player in the box. Knew who it was. I'm gonna say it was Javier Manquillo. Javier Manquillo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the yeah. right back was in the penalty area, waiting for a cross from the centre forward, which is just like if you want to describe Steve Bruce like that little spell of play there. Funnily enough, um, Bruce hooked him immediately, immediately after that happened because I I think that was Manquillo trying to make it happen, just thinking fucking hell, like someone's got to get in the box. The amount of times, so Maximan naturally. I can't even blame him, do you know what I mean? Because everyone knows what Alan St. Maximan is. We know he wants the football. He's not he's not a he's not a centre forward. I could name lots of centre forwards who just want to score goals, right? Mm-hmm. So Maximan wants the ball. And he's not gonna get the ball, standing in the box waiting for crosses that never arrive from from well like who? <laughs> Miguel Almiron playing on the right hand side of midfield as a left footed player. 
Um, who played in the left? Joe Linton. Those balls are never going to come in. Those crosses are not going to come in. Those three balls are not going to come in. So he goes looking for the ball, and there's just this chasm of space. And I said to you before, I think before recording, that the last 20 minutes of that game after Wolves scored were basically Newcastle engineering positions to allow Matt Ritchie to cross the ball mm. to literally nobody. Yeah. And, and even when we did get players in the box, um, Joe Linton or Sir Maximin, even if they were in the box, what's going to happen? Do you think Wolves are centre-backs are, are remotely concerned? And this is, this is, it's just, it's like, what, I use the words chaos and, you, you know, these kind of quite extreme words, but it is just chaos. There's No one has a clue on the pitch what is supposed to be happening? There was there was a point yesterday when Jacob Murphy did manage to get down the right hand side. Gale was on the pitch, he made a good run. And and Murphy like inexplicably cut back onto his left foot, which is his weaker foot, when he it was a mad decision and he was easily dispossessed. And the reason I bring that up is that there was clearly no plan to bring on right, Jacob, you get down the right flank. As soon as you can, smash the ball across the face, Dwight, you get on the end of it. That that clearly wasn't the plan. It was like Go on, Jacob, go and get us a goal. Mm-hmm. Dwight, you're up. Get what goal, mate. Yeah. There was, there's no, like, right, we've worked on this in the training ground. If we go 1-0 down in the last 20 minutes, we're going to switch inexplicably to the fans, but it's going to work. It's OK, we'll go to a back five. We'll play an additional centre-back despite chasing the game. And, but it'll work. We'll do this and it'll work. It's like, no, Matt, Matt Ritchie, can you create space for Matt Ritchie to dig a cross out to literally near one? And, and, and we're stood there at the end and I'm just thinking, and I, <laughs> I keep saying it, what are we watching here? We're not watching a group of players that have any kind of plan. No. Like you correctly said, the players are probably thinking, we need a goal. Why is Ryan Fraser not coming on? Who's more likely to get your goal? Jacob Murphy playing fucking right back or Ryan Fraser playing right wing? Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, you know, people listen, am I being too harsh? Am I being stupid here? Who is more likely to get you a goal? A midfielder put on as a defender or a winger playing as a winger? Yeah. Genuinely right. If when we were chasing the game, I'm saying chasing because we didn't really chase. Yeah. You know, we're supposed to be chasing. When we were supposed to be chasing the game yesterday, two one down with twenty minutes to go. Right. Stick Fraser on the right hand side. Stick Maximin on the left. Dwight Gale, three him up top right, and, and literally just hoof balls up, just hoof the ball up, hitting hitting who up towards the wings. Because if Fraser or Maximin get on the ball, at least something might happen. Yeah. This this isn't. Even, this, it's not even like. It's it, it's almost like that. Even that simplistic tactic, which is basically. Like, you know, Sunday League tactic, right? Hoof the ball up to the wingers and get the ball in the box. We're not even capable of doing that. Yesterday, that game, even though Wolves are poor, right? That's got to be one of the easiest defensive games they've had. Like, the defenders must have thought, God, that was a, that was a easy shift one. That's a nice one. Same I'm running in the park tomorrow same for nine minutes. Same, exa- exactly the same as Villa. Um, the, the complete and utter lack of penetration is 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 baffling. And you know what else is, is really dis- really worrying? You remember when Bruce, Bruce's first season, we were a real threat from set pieces. You know, we're getting set halves, getting goals. It's gone. We had corners yesterday, mate. I don't remember one of them. We, I think we had four corners, perhaps. I don't even know if Wolves had one corner. I cannot remember a single Newcastle in a corner yesterday. Like, not one. And, the, and again, you could say, well, if Ryan Fraser's on the pitch, take corners, perhaps something yeah. might happen. I, I, I've got no recollection. Yeah, and it's, 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 it's across the pitch, isn't it? You, you talked about the selection dilemmas before. <laughs> We, we've accused Bruce in the past, or well, I've certainly accused Bruce in the past of just hitting the panic button and changing players. You look at the defensive season, you look at that. Fernandes and Clark start the season in the team, then both are dropped. Now both are back in, or as defensively poor without them as we are with them. But you, you look at like decisions across the 90 minutes yesterday. I think he picks the wrong team. I think he picks the wrong team with the wrong players and the wrong selections. Right? So that's already Steve Bruce uh, being a negative influence, in my opinion, on the team for the match yesterday. Mm-hmm. Then during the game, the deci- the decisions are so inexplicable. 
the dis- you know what he could have done yesterday, mate. So who's he got when Joe Willock's injured? Okay, he's got Hayden and Longstaff on the pitch. All right, they're on the pitch. They're in midfield too. He's got Miguel Almiron, Alan St Maximan, and he's got one player to change in Joe Willock. He could have brought Dwight Gale on then. He could have brought Dick Gale on and thought, right, Gale, you're through the middle. We're going to play a four three three. We've got Alan, your left. Um, Miguel, your right. Didn't do that. He could have brought Ryan Fraser on. He could have thought, okay, Ryan Fraser, you go on the right-hand side. Miguel will put you um, on the left-hand side or through the middle. Or Joe uh, Joe Linton <laughs> will move Joe Linton up top or behind St. Maxman. He didn't do any of those things. He thought, now we're going to stick to the same system, the same formation. For no other reason than that we weren't losing at that point. I think that's the, for, for simply no other reason. Mm-hmm. And then, this is the final point I want to make in this part, mate, and possibly get your thoughts. And then towards the end of the game, even though he's had that chance to change it earlier in the game to try and make a positive impact on a game that wasn't going great, he's ended up with a completely different formation. He's ended up with Alan St. Maximan on the left-hand side again, just like he was against Watford at the end of the game last week. And he's ended up with Dwight Gale up front. Why is he finishing games trying to get... So that, that's Steve Bruce's solution to get something from that game is to add another centre-back into the mix, to bring on a centre-forward and then move St. Maximan out to the left. How can he not think, well, I'm finishing games like this, trying to get something more, trying to win a game, but I'm, not, I'm A, not going to start like this, and B, I'm not, I'm not even going to move into this position um, when afforded the, the quite simple opportunity to take off Joe Willock mm-hmm. for, for a more attacking-minded player than Jeff Henrik. Uh, genuinely, mate, there's no, everything you've said there, there's nothing I can really add to it because it, it's so quite clearly obvious that when you're ending games with Maximilian in his proper position, in a centre forward, in that proper position, but you're still not carrying that over into your next kind of week's thought process, thinking, well, actually, maybe I should just start with these two like lads in the right positions. Like I, I, Again, mate, it's, it comes into the logic of the substitutions and the changes on the sideline. Who's asking these questions? Who, like, who, who is, who's making... Is it Steve Bruce making these decisions of his own accord and not getting any kind of pushback from his coaches? Or is it the coaches saying to Steve Bruce, this is what you need to do? Like... It, it, it's it's inexplicable. It's truly inexplicable, and I think it's. I actually think it's quite unique in Premier League football that that this is this is playing out at a at a club. Like the, I don't envisage any other club. You know, I don't forensically look at other teams, but I don't envisage any other club following a similar sort of thought process. How many teams end up three games off the spin, eventually putting their players in the right position, but but the following game not like not starting them in the right position? It's it's, the, it's the, baffling. This is you're exactly right, and this is where the frustration comes in with the punditry and the analysis. When I spoke to Friday night, Monday night club on Five Live this season, you know, none of those pundits um, were able to kind of give me any kind of tactical analysis of Steve Bruce's decisions and why he cast not winning games. Instead, it was, well, he did all right at the end of last season. Well, he scored some goals, even though what you correctly said many times, we're not scoring more goals uh, against the opposition that we'll play. It's simply not true. Um, and instead it's like we're just going to bypass that because it's so much bullshit that we can't even analyse it like Danny Murphy cannot sit there and analyse what you've just said he could not come back to you there is no comeback so instead he just says oh well they're playing a bit better they're a bit more exciting we're not more exciting we're just a bad football team we're going to move on now to part three of the show where we'll talk a little bit about the away ends the, the, the mood and uh, how mine and Norman's day was at Wolves away So on to part three of the show, mate. Um, Newcastle yesterday, Newcastle away, and let's talk about that first. Some comments, social media, some comments of people I spoke to after the game, outside the ground, 
uh, one of the worst awareness in a long time in terms of noise, in terms of atmosphere, even in terms of any noise towards Bruce. What did you make of it? It's you know what it is. I think it's, using the word one of the worst awareness, it, it's um, it kind of skews it of us a slightly because it's not like the fans who are there. They don't. None of us want to be in a situation where we just can't be asked to sing, because there's nothing to sing for, right? None of us want it to be the worst of the end, right? It's not like it's intentional. It's like there is nothing to be. Like there's nothing to sing about. There's, we're not getting anything to to kind of be boisterous about. You know, it, it's it's almost like you're already demoralised. Like five minutes of the game, you're already demoralised by what's what's like you're sort of playing out in front of you. Um. So yes, the we end was quiet, but I think justifiably so, right? It's. You can't just manufacture excitement because there's nothing there to 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 get you excited about. Um, and it's funny because even the even the sort of Bruce out chants were kind of half-hearted. It was almost like people just accepted that he's your manager, and there's like literally nothing's going to change that unless unless he resigns. Um, it, or you know we're in a terrible terrible position by January. It's almost like well yeah you shite we're shite we can't sing about the team. Not even, there's not even any point saying get the manager because he's not. It's not going to make any difference. We're just utterly sick. Um, and what I also noticed, mate, which I thought, and this, you know, this is just kind of um, like a, a hypothesizing, right? That a lot of the accents in the end were were Midlands. Where, where I was, there was a lot of Midlands accents. So to me, it suggests that a lot of the fans there were Midlands-based, you know, Newcastle fans, which is interesting because what that means is it suggests that possibly a lot of um, season ticket holders aren't coming to away games, right? It's like a lot of people who would normally come to away games are kind of gnawing these tickets are, are being picked up by, you know, various other fans scattered around the country. Um, so I, the, the, the away one was quiet, but again, it's, it's, it's not, a, it's, it doesn't deserve any criticism. You can't criticise away end because, why? Like, why Why should we be bouncing up and down when there's nothing to bounce up and down for? Yeah, I agree. Also, the the, the makeup of the, the away end at World is like, physically... It, you stretched all along the halfway line, <laughs> so there's, there's there's different songs going, but different points. But it was flat, and it what there was no anger there. There was no anger. There was no. There was it, it. It felt apathetic, which is a massive shame. There was hardly any. There were there were a few Bruce out chants broke out. I think home games are going to be the one for that. You'd be under far more pressure at home than he would be, you know, at away games like that. The the, <clears> the Bruce out chants were incredibly loud at Watford, at Man United. Um, I just yeah, even me yesterday in the end you would like there is this consistent sense of what am I watching here? Yeah. What are we watching? But we've talked about the the tactical issues in the game, the substitutions. You just like it. Just honestly, and this is this is a strong thing to say, but it's like I think you said to me before actually, it's almost like we'll be better without a manager. Yeah. Would be better without a manager because all of those decisions. Again, I'm I'm open to a conversation sometimes. If someone ever wanted to come on a podcast on our Patreon platform and try and justify what Bruce does in game, is is decisions pre game are batshit for the for the main, but his his decisions in game are just like you can't predict them. You cannot predict. No one in that away end yesterday is thinking we're we're chasing the game here. You know what we need to do? We need to go back to five at the back, and we need to take off Mancu and bring off Murphy and move Hayden as a centre back. Like how? Like how can you predict that decision? Like the players can't predict it. How does that happen? And that 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 felt you know moves into the away end, doesn't it? That kind of like just being the, the away end felt lost yesterday. Yeah. It felt lost. There wasn't really any banter with the Wolves fan. Wolves quite an, an atmospheric ground. That the, the home fans are quite good. So there was an atmosphere. It's not even like all the home fans were shite, so we were shite. It's just a complete like, oh not again type thing. Fucking hell, here we go. And I think you you're gonna see that in tight, you know, 
tight games, not a tight game, Wolves comfortably won that game. I had a Wolves fan tweet me after the match. I said that was Wolves' worst performance of the season. They still won. He tweeted me saying that was my second worst performance of the season, which is very honest of him saying that we were terrible. Like I keep saying, the Wolves fans were on their team's back all game um, because they were so poor and they've won that game without really breaking sweat. Mm-hmm. It's the kind. Of, it's the kind of game. Like I've said this a lot on the Bruce. We do resemble a newly promoted side, both in terms of how we apply ourselves in games and Bruce's post-match stuff. It's like, well, we got beat again. We haven't won any fixtures this season, but it's actually all right because because we didn't get hammered. So I think in in a way, and you are going to start seeing a kind of apathy when it's a low scoring, one or two goals between the teams game, and uh, like a hammering. The the anger will come out when it's a hammering, and that's that's kind of, and again, I want to say it. I think teams know Villa, Wolves, the perfect examples. I think teams know that they don't have to overextend themselves. They don't have to take a lot of chances against Newcastle. You will get a goal, and if you get a goal, you'll probably win. You, you don't need to get men ahead of the ball. You don't need to flood the penalty area. You don't need to do a lot of these things you might have to do against other sides. You don't need to do against Newcastle. Well, that, that, that's, that's what I'm saying is that on the training ground before they play Newcastle United, the other the opposition doesn't need to worry about anything in terms of, right, let, we're, having, we're having the tactics meeting where the players are all lined up in the, in the room. This is what Newcastle offer. This is how we have to count with. None of that. It's literally just, all right, we just need to mark our answer, Maximine. Yeah. And whatever happens after that, well, you, you you will get space. You will create chances. You likely will win the game. I mean that that's it. It's it's um yeah. And, and as you, that that kind of plays out as as we see in the end, where we are just absolutely and utterly lacking in any kind of enthusiasm. So yeah. there's a malaise almost, right? Yeah, very much so, very much so. And you know we're going to move on to the, the weekend as a whole. But look at who Newcastle got out injured now: uh, Martin Dubravka, Jamal Lascelles, Joe Willock. Callum Wilson, John Joe Shelby, mm. Paul Dummett. It's already, we talked about this in pre-season, and I said this in pre-season, there'll be games next season when Newcastle are missing half a team, and it's just accepted. Mm. It's not even talked about, really. Bruce will talk about it when he runs out of like <laughs> alleged positives, but it's like, if Newcastle have now got six or seven players not starting, why is that? Why is it always us? Why under Steve Bruce at every club he's been at, is there an ever-mounting injury crisis? Why was Joe Willock wearing a protective boot last week, played 90 minutes, now he's out injured? Why was Callum Wilson played against Southampton when he had a slight niggle and a twinge on his thigh? Why was John Joe Shelby rushed back from a, quite a serious thigh injury? Um, now he has another thigh injury after like a game and a half of playing. In fact, well, one of them wasn't even a competitive game. Mm-hmm. This it's, It just stinks of a relegation season. It just stinks of relegation. And anyone who says otherwise, can only point to the fact that Bruce won five wins in nine games. How many points were picked up in the last 38 games, mate, in the league? You had a look at yesterday. Ooh, I think it's 36. 36 points for Bruce across his last full league season. Stinks of relegation. Seven wins in the past in all competition. 37 games. Stinks of relegation. This isn't a bad start to the season. It's just more of the same. Mm-hmm. It's just more of the same without the miracle of Joe Willock happening towards the end of last season. That's, that's literally it. That's literally it, and it's a very depressing place to be. Norman, we've had a good weekend, though, haven't we? We have, mate. We have. What a city Birmingham is. This is another time I've spent a weekend in Birmingham. Just thought, like, it, it seems to get better every time. Like, um, <laughs> from like the from little things like the taxi driver, they basically taking the piss. Like saying, <laughs> Steve Bruce is doing a good job. Though. He's a Birmingham City fan, the taxi driver. But the way he said it, he knew it was tongue in cheek, right? Uh, I thought that that was just like a nice little touch. Um, the fact that we 
have found a pub that like I wanted to be local, even though it's you know it's like logistically impossible. Um, and we ate like food, this really good food, this in, this Indian kind of craft brewery place that did outrageously good uh, naan breads full of full of curry. It was just a uh, just a, a brilliant weekend all in all. Take out the football, mate. That's the thing, isn't it? And I, I put I put I think I tweet out Friday night, saying it would just it would just be nice just to win and play well and just go home and just have a nice time. None of this bullshit about tactics. None of this stuff about the manager standing there talking shit at the end of the game. None of the manager lying. None of those media reports. Just win. Could we just win a game for once and have a nice time? And so many people reply and so many people get in touch just saying, it is like going to football and following Newcastle away is because travelling with your friends and family across England is fun. Yeah. Everything else about it is like abhorrently shit. Yeah, you can't, you can't let now, you can't let the game have any impact on your day unless it unless it's a win like if, so let's say Newcastle win what it does is it might make the day slightly better because it's a win right but I'm at the stage now where the defeat doesn't make the day worse yeah. like you know whereas in the past that would have been like I've been devastated post-match after a defeat absolutely gutted of course it has an impact on you you know and then you might sit down on a couple of pints and go through it you feel a bit better I'm at the stage now where like as soon as the whistle blows I'll be thinking about it, thinking about how bad it is, but I'm not letting an impact on, on any other part of the day. It's like, I'm still going to have a good time. That's it. Yeah, yeah and uh, it's a shame we'll have no more fixtures and burning this season. That's <laughs> no, no, no. new favourite city. Um, not favourite, obviously. Second favourite after Newcastle. <laughs> but uh, I, it's, been, it's, been a, it's been a good weekend and it's, it's, just, it's just such a shame that like we'll have this chancer, this bloke who, who knows he can't do the job and just wants some more... He, he wants some extra zeros in his bank accounts and it affects all of our lives. Everyone listening to this in such a negative way. Spurs next. Um, international break now, thank fuck. And uh, we'll have lots and lots of shows about Newcastle United on our Patreon platform. It's £5.50 a month. This podcast you've just listened to was uploaded ad-free. And uh, you'll hear me, Norman, and some of our close friends a lot on that over the next couple of weeks and beyond. So I hope you can join us. Thanks very much for listening. We really appreciate the support. We will be back to you on the free podcast uh, definitely uh, after Spurs at home. We'll have a couple of free podcasts before that. Thanks for listening. Ta-da. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.